when you have cancer or some other debilitating disease, you know that a part of your life, your health is broken. And you can't help but ask yourself, can my life be fixed? Or perhaps the question really is, how can I cope with a life that's not fixed? That's the question we address today here on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, Episode 10, as we talk to the author of Read This or Die, Ray Edwards. So listen on, my friend. Listen on. Cancer got you down? Pretty grim, huh? How about a show that turns the grim into a grin? Way to go. You made it here to the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, the show to lift you up with hope and humor that heals. Hello, Lifter Uppers. I'm Deb Creer, the co-host of Cancer and Comedy, where we crush cancer flat with stories of healing through hope and humor. Thanks for joining us today. It's going to be great. Now let me introduce you to our host of Cancer and Comedy, Dr. Brad Miller. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Deb. You are awesome as usual. And uh, thank you to our good friends who are checking checking out Cancer and Comedy here today. We're going to be talking today a little bit about how the shocking nature of getting a cancer diagnosis, how it's really it could take your breath away. It's hard to deal with. I knew I knew of a guy, I heard of a guy who'd had enough of it. He was fed up to hear that mm-hmm. this whole cancer thing. And he and he, he just he would say, at this point in my life, I drink. And I drink so I could smoke. And I smoke after I make bad decisions. And when I make what I made while drinking, and then I drink to forget that I have cancer. And so it goes round and round and round. So, Deb, this is a podcast where we believe. That you choose to have a cheerful heart, and the Bible says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine. So we talk about cancer and other profound diseases, like we're going to talk about today, with a touch of cheer. Right. You know, Dr. Brad, I am pretty cheerful and, and a happy person by nature. But getting diagnosed with breast cancer was a shock that took a minute to process and challenged me and even my sense of humor. You know, Deb, uh, to be sure, cancer in and of itself, it just isn't that funny, but it does change us. Mm-hmm. In fact, almost everybody goes into what I call a search mode, a search for answers when they get a cancer diagnosis. I call it the shock phase and then the search phase. The shock is when you first kind of hear about it, it kind of takes your breath away, and then the search is, I'm going to get busy and I'm going to start to try to find out everything that I can. And I think it's one of the things that we as uh, people dealing with cancer, uh, patients and advocates for uh, people with cancer and other bad diseases, can uh, are looking to return to some of the joy that we had before, before this uh, shocking thing happened. Right. You know, and I, I had shock and I searched for answers when I was first diagnosed. I think a lot of people do kind of the ostrich thing. We're going to ignore it didn't it's not really happening and then we go to dr google right and we get <laughs> overwhelmed with the information um we search our hearts our heads our souls all of these various things and then of course all the input from everybody who knows you um so it it can be very overwhelming 
And it does help to keep a sense of humor through all of this. Mm. Well, I know in my case, I certainly, uh, my shock was I just kind of laughed out loud. I said, this can't be, I literally laughed out loud. And it's kind of a laughing to deal, you know, keep from crying mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I think this can't be happening to me, the denial thing. And then, then I went, my search was, I knew of a couple of friends who had uh, prostate cancer, which is what I had. And uh, start talking to them and say, hey, give me the dirt and what this is really all about. And I got some answers, <laughs> not always answers I was looking for, but uh, I did get some answers. And of course, WebMD and all that kind of thing. And some of it was helpful and some of it not so helpful, but certainly it was a part of the, the, the research process to mm -hmm. kind of move from the shock and to the search. Right, right. You know, and part of it is we want to be in control. And so we want to get as much information as we can get. Well, you know, our guest today is absolutely fantastic, uh, you know, and, and I can't wait for people to hear the interview. So tell us a little bit more about him and his story of shock and his search for answers. Our guest uh, today here on Cancer Comedy is Ray Edwards and his new book, that came out uh, in June of 2023 is called Read This or Die. And the subtitle is Persuading Yourself to a Better Life. And we'll get into all the details of this in our interview. But uh, Ray was cruising along pretty good in his life when he had a diagnosis of Parkinson's and when he was about 48 years old. Now, here in Cancer and Comedy, we talk about cancer a lot, but we, there's other profound diseases we're going to mm -hmm. talk about, and we're really going to focus on the hopeful stories that come out of this. And in Ray's case, he goes into great detail about how shocking it was to be diagnosed with kind of an old man's, or an old person's disease, so to speak, Parkinson's, what a lot of people think, mm -hmm. at age 48, and how it sent him reeling in lots of ways, and then how he went on a deep search for answers. And a lot of what our interview is about is his search for answers and how he eventually found his kind of peace of mind or kind of found his soul, as it were, in something that he had a history in. And that is, believe it or not, copywriting. We'll talk about that. It's a great interview and it's going to give you some great practical tools in your life to help you to understand the shock, to do a search that makes some sense and to help to kind of uh, rewrite or write your own story as you come to kind of a place where you're uh, a good place, a better life, as Ray, as Ray would say. So we'll look forward right. to it in just a minute here, that interview. I love it. You know, and following uh, the very moving and inspirational interview with Ray, you're going to want to stick around for Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. And of course, our faith it or break it segment and our listener lifter stories. Did you know that you could be part of an upcoming episode of Cancer and Comedy with your uplifting story of hope and humor in kicking cancer in the butt? You go to our, uh, to do that, you go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com and just leave us a quick little message. Well, please do that and we'll look forward to hearing from you because you, our listeners, uh, are really a part of what we are about here. We want to listen to your stories as well. But right now, we are really looking forward to hearing the story of, of Ray Edwards, his uh, book, Read This or Die, Persuading Yourself to a Better Life. And he's our guest today on the Cancer and Comedy Show. Ray Edwards, welcome. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate that so much. Um, happy to be here. 
Glad to have you with me here uh, today. And uh, in your mid-40s, your life was cruising along pretty good. Uh, You were a successful marketer. You were a copywriter. You were working with some big names in the field of marketing. And then something happened that that basically rocked your world. And eventually, through a long way around, the circuitous process led you to writing your book, Read This or Die. What happened? Parkinson's disease happened. I was at a conference, but I was writing notes, which I always took lots of notes, and my handwriting started getting smaller and smaller. And I knew this was not right. When I got back to my hotel room, I did what we all do. I consulted Dr. Google. And Dr. Google told me I had Parkinson's, and I was like, that cannot be. Mm. Got back home, saw my doctor back in Spokane. A few months later, went to a neurologist, and sure enough, they said I had Parkinson's. And it turns out they were right, although I tried to deny it at first. It's a life-changing diagnosis because it's what it was presented to me is it's degenerative. It's incurable. It's only going to get worse and has a predictable outcome, which is pretty horrible. Here's some pills. Good luck. See you later. My, uh, my, my neurologist told me, as we got to know one another better over the years, I've seen the same neurologist now for 12 years in a row. He said, honestly, I'm a pill pusher. That's all I can do. In fact, we have a saying inside of our business. It's called diagnose and adios. So how's that for hope giving language? <laughs> See you later, dude. And so that, that led you in the process here of dealing with this over the years and some ways successfully and some ways not so successfully. And eventually led you to write this book about your process, which I think is a read this or die, a pretty stark, but a stark title that helps us to get a context of this is pretty serious stuff, right? Yeah, for sure. I did try all kinds of things to, I went into denial mode. I went, I had been writing copy for a lot of alternative health practitioners and companies. So lots of pills, powders, potions, lotions, magnetic mats, red light therapies. I've been writing copy for all those guys, so I thought my answer is somewhere in this world because I've written so much copy that's convinced me that that stuff works. So I tried it all. And when I say all of it, all of it, crystal healing and energy work and you name it, I went to lots of miracle prayer services in the Christian church and the charismatic part of the Christian church and even in the non-charismatic part of the Christian church, which there are many. That's a little tempted at humor. Yeah. It's inside the family, y'all. Chuckle, it's yeah. okay. I, I exhausted all the avenues I could think of. I tried all the, the standard mainstream medical approaches like carbidopa, levodopa, pills. It's the gold standard treatment. The problem with it is it doesn't work over time. It gets less and less effective, so you have to take more and more, and the side effects become worse than the actual disease itself. Have you ever seen Michael J. Fox, the way he is constantly wiggling around that's right. the medication. It's not the disease. Okay. You stop taking the medication, he'd be like a statue. Wouldn't be able to move at all. Wow. Which is where we get to eventually if we stick with it long enough. I tried all those things. Tried exercise. I did manage to try some crazy diets and crazy supplements and crazy exercise routines. And I finally arrived at a place where I was getting worse and worse. I was getting. It was becoming difficult for me to walk. I couldn't travel on my own anymore. I had to have somebody with me all the time for my speaking engagements. And so I hit a point of desperation. So I sat down, and wrote myself a sales letter because I thought I got to convince myself. Because I didn't want to live at that point, Brad. I just reached a point where I was like, I'd rather just be dead. Go be on the other side, whatever that was, because I had some doubts about that at the time, and continue to do this stance because it's painful and it's discouraging and it doesn't seem like there's any hope. Somebody said depression, true depression, is the inability to construct a hopeful future. Yeah. I wrote myself a sales letter. It said basically read this or die, Ray. Die a failure, die fat, broke. And having left a string of broken promises behind you, and then I presented myself with the alternatives. You can either 
just keep doing what you're doing and end up dead and useless and in a pool of self-pity, or you can do what you can to make the most of what you've got, gave myself a reason to live, and a way, a code by which to live that would make it more meaningful. So that's what pulled me out of the nosedive. And you wrote that out of your own context as a copywriter and marketer. You wrote what you knew. One of the things I found fascinating about this particular sales letter to yourself, when I, when I first read the title, Read This or Die, I thought, okay, there's something about this that's profoundly pithy in the sense of it is a metaphor about uh, life in so many ways. And there's a key word in your title that I want us to talk about a little bit today, and that word is or. It's about choices. It's about it's going to be this or that. You've talked about global metaphors and global beliefs. So when we talk about global metaphors, we alone seem to have the ability to use metaphors. In fact, we're the only creatures we know of who have the capability of metaphor. That's why we have language. That's why we have civilization. That's why we're, we have the Internet. If we didn't have metaphor, we'd have none of that. Global metaphors. If you want to know what somebody's global metaphor is, ask them a simple question. What's life all about to you? What do you think life is like? Ask them that. What is life like? Hmm. Okay. What do you mean? Usually be the response. What do you mean? What is it? What would you compare it to? What is life like? Life is like some people think they're funny. They'll say a box of chocolates. You never know what okay. you're going to get. All right. Okay. That's funny. But if they quote that, there's a good chance that's part of their global metaphor. Yeah. They, they connected with that statement so much. So it's how we compare and contrast and think, okay, this is how these things are alike. Life is like. now if somebody says to you, life is a battle. Life is a trial by fire. You suddenly know a lot about how they feel about the world. What is a relationship like? Like, what is a marriage like? Oh, marriage is like a tug of war. Really? Marriage is, is like a boxing match. Marriage is like a, a beautiful garden. Marriage is like heaven. Marriage is, however, the answer tells you so much about how, and that controls how we operate. What my global metaphor means to me as I go through life, if I feel like life is a battle, I'm going to go out the door ready to fight. So then global beliefs are things that you believe to be true just globally. If I say, um, what is life about? That's different than what are you comparing it to? What is life about? Life is about winning. A lot of entrepreneurial type of people will say that about achieving. Uh, life is about leaving a legacy. For so long, I thought that was a good thing to say. And now it may be for somebody else, but for me, I sometimes I get the question, what kind of legacy do you want to leave, right? And I'm like, I, I have no desire to leave a legacy hmm. other than how did I treat the people in my life? Yeah. Did they feel loved and appreciated by me? Some people may say, life, like what I just said, I want to know about the people in my life. What I want from to leave behind in my life is that people know I love yeah. them and appreciate them. That's a belief. I believe that's the right thing to do. Why do you believe that? Yeah. So and, the metaf global metaphor casts a bit of a, a kind of a vibe or feeling in the beliefs is what I'm really, yeah. Filter through which you look at, at the world. You use your plan, the pastor plan. The P in the word pastor is for pain. I thought about a couple of metaphors that came to mind on a continuum. A phrase I came up with, or it came, just came to my mind almost automatically. One side of it is life sucks and then, then you die versus don't worry, be happy. How do you react to that? And sure, that's fascinating. That's why I always enjoyed talking with you because you, there's no small talk with you. Um, <laughs> and I, I love that. 
Yeah. I, I think the world could do with less small talk and less talk about real things. But there we go. Um, so let me go back to what you asked just now. The pastor framework that I use in copywriting and that I use, it's a, it's just a, a, a way of thinking about persuasion. So for copywriters, it's how do you write messages to get people to do something or believe something. And then for us individuals, I realized when I needed help and I had nothing else to turn to, I thought well, you have been persuading for decades now, selling them stuff. Maybe you need to sell yourself some stuff. So P stands for person, problem, and pain, especially if you're writing to yourself. You're going through the book and writing the exercises out. You're thinking about what hurts. You begin this process of change by understanding what is hurting, what I need relief from. And then A stands for amplify. And that's just about once we realize something hurts, we need to amplify the pain into the future. We need to ask ourselves, if I do nothing about this, if I think I have cancer and I have some symptoms, but I'm not going to go to the doctor, I'm not going to do anything about it because I don't want to know, that could have disastrous consequences. If I don't do something about my Parkinson's or if I don't do something about my attitude about my Parkinson's, that could also have disastrous results. And so I think through where am I going to end up if I don't do something about this? As I alluded to earlier in my letter to myself, I wrote, you're going to end up fat, sick, broke, dead, let your wife down, let your son down, all these horrible things. And people, I get a, a lot of responses from people saying, I feel like you were hard on yourself, man. But I know myself. I needed somebody to be hard on me. Yeah. The S in pastor is for story. Uh, this is key, Brad, because the stories we tell ourselves about our life, I believe, become the fabric of our life. And I'm in my workshops, I've for years now, I've done this exercise where I'll have people write out the story of their life. I say, I want you to write it on one page, just sum it up, but write it this way. Here are the rules. Everything you write on the page has to be true, and everything you write on the page has to be tragic, bad, difficult, painful. That's all you get to write. Go. Have them write the page. Then I ask them to flip the paper over or flip to a clean page and say, now I'm going to have you write another version. This time, same rules. Everything has to be true and it has to be real, but it has to be happy and triumphant. Only the good stuff. Go. And I get a little pushback usually, but they finally get it through their head. I can do this. My life wasn't all bad. So they write it up. And then when they're done, I ask the question, which story is true? Based on the rules, we know they're both true. Yes. So then the question becomes, which story have I been telling? And almost overwhelmingly, the answer is always, I've been telling the negative story. Yeah, the negative part, yeah. The story of your life is not your life. It's just a story. Now, I don't mean to downplay any painful thing you've been through, but I am asking you to consider, do you want to continue replaying that over and over in your head? Is that helping you? I think the answer is no. And I'm not positive thinking guy. I'm a pragmatic optimist. That means I do not believe the best thing will always happen. But I believe we can always choose to make the best of what does happen. Bad things do happen to good people. Yes. I hear this phrase a lot. People will say to me, and they mean well, they say, everything happens for a reason. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> everything does happen for a reason. Sometimes I've... it's a bad reason. I cringe every time I hear that. We're, we're of one mind on that. Yes. <laughs> so then the T in pastor is for testimony, and that just amounts to let's pile up a lot of evidence to show that the, the course in the story, you come up with some answers about how I'm going to be going forward 
then you need some testimony to prove that it can be done, and you need some examples of what it can look like so you can actually believe what you're trying to tell yourself. And then the offer is looking for the opportunity in the situation. What can I accomplish because of this? What does, another, like Michael Hyatt has said many times, what does this make possible? What does this make possible? And I get it. When I first got my diagnosis and let people know about it, about every other person would say, you just got to look for the blessing in this. I'm like, I'll give you a blessing. Come over here a little closer. <laughs> I got a blessing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's ever seen anyone who has been treated for or died of cancer knows that's no blessing. I, I do believe this. There's a verse in the Bible. Could you check your Bible and just make sure Romans 8.28 is still in it? And Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. I think that doesn't mean that your life is going to be great. I'm not one of these people who believes, oh, I love Jesus, so I get a Rolex and a, and a Ferrari and yeah. everything goes right. In fact, Jesus told us, in this life, you will have trouble. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the R of pastor is you need to respond to your own message. Like, what's your, what's your response going to be? Call yourself out to do something, to do this thing that you've written up. and To apply it to your make, life. Make to it apply today. it to your own life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's the pastor framework. Having said that, and I just got to, those type of things come to mind, and that I would like you to respond to that thing I said earlier. Life sucks, and then you die, or don't worry, be happy. Some people see it that way, don't they? One way or the other. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, Brad, everybody should have interviewed me about 30 years ago when I knew everything. <laughs> I find that rarely is the answer to any complex question a simple answer. People want simple answers. What we want is not always what we get. Not only can you not always get what you want, you probably shouldn't. Because later you'll figure out, I wanted the wrong thing. Don't worry, be happy, versus life sucks and then you die. Both are true, to an extent, for some people during some period of their life, I think. So that's, there's my most controversial, definitive line-drawing statement <laughs> I'm going to make. Uh, I, I don't think it's that easy. I think we usually fall somewhere in the middle on those two ends of the scale. I think sure. that's the answer. I, I, it's a continuum. Yeah. And I just, I think yeah. it kind of ebbs and flows on that continuum a little bit. Yes. But I think part I mean, of what your book does, I believe here, Ray, it gives us a process to follow to navigate some of that type of thing. And that's why I like the word or in your title that kind of helps us, you know, kind of, we got to work this process here. Thank you for bringing us back around to what you originally said, because um, the, the death I refer to in the title is metaphorical death. We will sure. all die physically. The most accurate title would have been read this and die. But yes. I felt like that would have the, send the wrong message. Um, well, that, and is a different word than or. It's an exciting world you live in once you realize, the day you realize words have specific meanings, and a lot of people will be well served by acquainting themselves with those meanings. I've got, I've got, I've got another one for you here. And this, we talk about story here. Sometimes hear people say something to the effect of preach faith until you have it, or the other side of the spectrum is faith is fooling yourself. And I'd like you to respond to that, particularly a little bit in your own faith story, Ray. I know that you mentioned a minute ago about looking for simple answers to complex questions, and it 
It seems to me that in your book, you outline in kind of a crisis of faith and looking, going around the faith healers and so on like that, looking for what I took it to be simple answers to the complex questions. The faith issue you were having here and how that was ingrained in your story to look for, okay, this is the way it is. The devil made me do it, whatever it would be. I was raised in the faith. I was raised as a tongue-talking, snake-handling, fire-breathing, miracle-wielding, proselytizing, Pentecostal Christian in southeastern Kentucky. So that was about as far to that extreme pole as you could go. And it worked great for me as long as my wife, as long as my life was going great. As long as everything was moving along. I had what I thought of as adversities. I had a couple of jobs for my job when my boss was a jerk. Mm -hmm. I thought that was adversity, by the way. Yes. (laughs) Also, as I've gotten older, I've learned what I think is pain is not even discomfort, really. Inconvenience more than anything else. Yes. So I went through life as a as an American-born white male, I had so many advantages I didn't even wasn't even aware of. White privilege. What does that mean? I thought God's desires for me to have this great life. Meanwhile, unaware of the true state of most humans in the world, not a super great life. As I became more afflicted with this disease, I began to find the beliefs I'd lived by all my life unraveling. Like, I believed steadfastly that you could pray, ask God, and he would heal you, and that he wanted to, and that was his will for every human being. tried to deny this, but the real meaning behind that teaching to me ended up being, if you're not healed and you're sick, then God's infallible, God's word's infallible, so there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. It's called (laughs) I'm sick, I'm dying. And I began to question, earnestly sought after God's will. I read the scriptures so much. I prayed so much. I went to so many services. I confessed. So many sins, every sin I could think of. I went through healing ministries. I went deep because I knew the problem was me to no avail. And so I began to doubt. I'm just going to cut to the chase. I got to the point where I was like, I don't think I believe this anymore. So I started looking elsewhere. This episode of the Cancer and Comedy Podcast was brought to you by the grand opening of the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, which is the Clean Comedy Cancer Benefit live stream. It's happening Saturday, November 4th, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, you could be at the live show, which features Rick Roberts, a nationally known comedian, part of the movie called Mayberry Man, fantastic comedian and a cancer survivor. But for you, our listening audience, you can check it out on a live stream. That's right. We're live streaming this live comedy show with rick roberts you can get it on youtube and on facebook all you do is to connect up there is go to cancerandcomedy.com slash live and that's how you can be connected to all our live streams and our live stream grand opening of the cancer and comedy podcast coming to you on saturday november 4th twenty. 23 from Indianapolis, Indiana. That's Eastern Standard Time. If you're in the area, check us out. Come to the event at cancerandcomedy.com slash events. And if you want to be on the live stream, it's cancerandcomedy.com slash live. We'll see you there at the grand opening of the Cancer and Comedy Podcast. 
Before you go too far there, did you have an aha moment? Did you, okay, this is what I grew up with. This is what I was ingrained in, but now it doesn't work anymore. There's which one? That's the question. <laughs> I, okay. I kept, we're great at the skill of denial. Yes. We, we are, our creation abilities are enormous when it comes to denying reality. Couldn't escape this reality because it was inside my own body. There's a happy ending so everybody can relax. Went through all these different belief systems and ideas and thoughts and I went all the way into, I would call it nihilism, okay. uh, dabbled with atheism, and realized this is not the answer. For me, the atheists are just as foolish as the prosperity gospel people. Okay. All right. Now we're getting somewhere. Um, ultimately, I ended up reading a lot of deeper philosophical works by a, a lot of Catholic mystic fathers and People who live in the monastic lifestyle, and I'm not saying I'm, if you're waiting for me to say here's the one true denomination or, or <laughs> book, or I'm not going to tell you that because no, no. I don't know that. What I know is this: God is for certain, not just a big one of us in the sky. That's yeah. much. That's not God. That's our image of ourselves projected up above us. We're worshiping ourselves. I think when we worship that, God is not non-existent. I don't. The universe doesn't make sense to me if there's not meaning. I can't get there. I've tried to get there, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Who is God? What is God? God is a, a huge, mysterious, the creator of all things, the infinite intelligence that made us, that loves us, that has tried, I believe, throughout our existence to contact and communicate with us. And why? I don't know. I'm yeah. not God. So many people are looking for the answer, the yes. aha moment. They're looking for the answer, and there isn't a the answer. It's more of a process of yes. a journey, a seeking truthfulness instead of the truth. This is just my take on things here. Yes. And when I've seen people caught up in this simplistic approach to things where they see, okay, this certain preacher or this certain situation or this certain product is going to solve all my problems, and it just doesn't because the situation is a dynamic process that is always ebbing and flowing and changing within us, and we have to be engaged with the process. And that's what yeah. I loved about your book here is it helps us to get engaged with the process of seeking truthfulness. And in my own theological convictions, it has to be about going on to perfection we're not perfect here. We go on to perfection, and my own only become perfect in, in heaven, but we have to continue to get better and process this. Does this resonate at all with kind of what you were seeking to do in your book and your thinking here? Help me yes, out here. Yes. I think the answer is, and when I say questioning, I don't mean refusing or refuting. Question. I, I want to continuously, continuously be questioning what I believe because I'm suspect of my motivations. Mm-hmm. I know myself well enough to know that I'm the easiest person for me to fool into thinking I know what I'm doing. So I want to constantly be asking and questioning Christians of one flavor or another. I have friends who are Catholic, who are Orthodox, who are Reformed Church, all over the map. One of the things I find is they all seem to be afraid of me asking any questions. Do you think God is afraid of your questions? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Yeah. I think his attitude is ask away. Um, Absolutely. I'm a big so, fan of the, just biblically, I'm a big fan of the Old Testament story about uh, Jacob, where he wrestles with, with God or a God figure and uh, wrestles all night long, but comes out with what? 
a broken, a messed up hip, comes up damaged, <laughs> gets a blessing, gets broken and a blessing. And I, I love that kind of metaphor because we're not going to come out. You deal with Parkinson's and the reality is that something maybe Parkinson related is going to end your physical life someday. I am a cancer patient myself, pretty uh, sobering prognosis myself. Something's going to get us eventually in our physical health, but we have a choice of how we react to that. And what you're helping us do in your book here, I believe, is give us a little bit of the of the how to. But mm. do, you, do you remember the story? Do you remember the? I think it might have been the second Indiana Jones movie where uh, Indiana Jones on the chasm, and he has to take the step of faith. But before he does, he throws some rocks out there to test it out to make sure there's yes. at least something yes. there. You know, he's got the I, answer, but he's just going to make sure. Yeah, and that uh, to me that kind of goes to some of your other about the story here and a testimony about how I loved how you searched out of all these faith healers and so on in order to really research it big time. And it, you come out with process, not an answer. I know. I'm sorry to vamp there for just a second, but I just love No, it. I love that. I, I really, as somebody who writes and creates, you know how it is. Sometimes it takes somebody else reflecting on your creation for you to even understand what you created to begin with. <laughs> so I, I well, appreciate those are great insights. I, I, I love that. And just in terms of, you know, I'm a big believer that adversity is a, a given. We all have to experience adversity. But how you deal with it makes the biggest difference and i love processes and tools that, that help us to 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 do this and share with me this you would coach encourage people the book is an encouragement indeed but i get a feeling there have been people in your life who have come to you ray and said okay ray i'm in deep i'm, I'm in a deep here and how do i get out what kinds of things do you share with those folks what kind of things do you reflect with them? what kind of questions you got all these questions in your book what kind of questions do you ask interpersonally with, with people to say, okay, here's my experience. How can my experience speak into your life? That's a great question. Gone are the days when I think I have a template that I can use with anybody to get them where I want them to get to. They don't care where I want them to get to. They want to get to where they want to get to. You don't have a solution to a problem somebody else doesn't think they have. But let's take this scenario where you said somebody comes to me and they say, I'm in deep trouble here. What do I do? Or I'm deeply depressed or I'm just discouraged. It's, it's so simple. This is a simple answer. It results in complex activity. you got to ask questions and just listen. I love being a know-it-all. I've been a know-it-all all my life. So I, sometimes I think I still do know-it-all. But I, I try hard to just ask questions and listen to what people, not only what they're saying, but what they mean and why they're saying it. I'm constantly listening, trying to get at what's going on inside you. Yeah. And if I reach a point where I feel like I, I have some insight, I might then say, Here's what I think I'm hearing from you. I think I'm hearing that you're depressed and you're discouraged because of this situation. And and I'll go into some detail. And I'm looking for the moment when they look at me and they get that spark in their eyes. And they go, you got it. That's it. You can always tell when they feel like you heard yeah. them and expressed it even better than they did, they did, they did yeah. themselves. The light bulb comes on and they and, the, even a physical yes. countenance changes this. Yes. In that moment you have an opportunity to ask them a question or plant a thought in their mind that will help them get out of the deep pits they put themselves in. I was just talking with someone yesterday who was very upset about a situation that they were in. So I just asked them, well, what if you thought about that relationship not as a romantic relationship but as a business partnership? In fact, what if you proposed to do that, start a business together? That person, that one question was just the right thing 
they needed to hear them to wake up and have some hope about the situation. I saw the change immediately. They went and did, they had that conversation. They made that change. I just talked to them again today. Problems are not fixed, but they're so much better. And they don't feel hopeless anymore. So for me, I'm just trying to listen to where people are. And then I'm, I'm looking for a way to ask a question or give them an idea and just say, consider this idea. I'm not asking yeah. you to accept it. Just and take it, it helps them to go a little bit deeper and unpack some no. layers. And one of the processes I do when I do some counseling people, I just ask one question, but I ask it multiple times. And the question is, what do you want? But I only require they give me a different answer. And mm. I, you know, mm. what do you want? I want a oh, better. That's good. I want to, but they have, you know, what do you want? I want to, uh, I want my wife to like me. What do you really want? I want my marriage to be better. What do you want? But I have to, they have to give me a different answer. It, and I do yeah. it at least three times, sometimes as many as 10, 12 times. And then the trigger question is after a certain point, and I, what are you going to do about it? You know, what do you need to do now oh about gosh. that? And so that's something that I, and I just really believe, and you mentioned this in some of your writing here about kind of peeling back to layers and going deeper. And I think that's a service that we can do for one another in terms of process, Ray, and that's the gift I got out of your book here is process, my friend, process. That this is not a simplistic answer or part of the read this or die helps me to process things. But the adversity is given, but how are you going to use this in your life? And I just wanted to share that, to, to share that because I appreciate that very much. I'm going to, I'm going to take that prompt and, and journal that myself today. What do you want? And what are you going to do about it? I'm going to answer what do you want at least 10 times before I get to And you got to get, always give a different answer. Always got to give yep, yourself or working with uh, someone. That's, uh, that's beautiful. Because your subtitle of your whole book is about persuasion. Persuasion does not mean dictation. It does not mean right. this is the way it is because that never works. We know that yeah. in our world right now. We know that in religious circles. We know that in political circles. We know that in family life parenting or anything else it just doesn't work if you command or demand usually it doesn't work but if you help people to understand that it's their idea or to persuade them it works right. and that's a sales tactic isn't it then that part of the copyrighted and sales thing to have people think it's yes. their own idea absolutely robert collier the great copywriting genius of days gone by said you must join the conversation that's already taking place in your reader's mind. There, this is not a new idea, but it's so true. You And I, I'm not talking about inception here. I'm not talking about some kind of deceptive, manipulative practice. If you ask enough questions and you reflect back enough of the answers the other person is giving you, at some point, they may arrive at, at the conclusion that you want them to arrive at on yeah. their own. And that decision, they own. And I think a part of that, owning that decision, is having a clearer visualization of a preferred future. I was uh, dumped by my girlfriend at age 16, whatever it was, uh, mm -hmm. or I got fat or I got lazy or I got a bad grade in chemistry, whatever it is in the past. But the look forward is a little more difficult. We think we want to have a good future, but we need to give it more defined and refined. I mentioned to you earlier that I was diagnosed with cancer about a year ago, and that happened uh, in my particular case in July of 2022. In August of 2022, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I my wife and I had all these big plans for travel and living life in retirement and all that kind of had to be set aside with a diagnosis of cancer. So I had to leverage something different in my life. So around Christmas time, I got together with my two granddaughters, ages five and two, but I could visualize them 
as young women of 21 and 18, doing the things that young women do, getting married, graduating. And I said, it's going to be hard for them to hug a dead guy. That visualization gave me my purpose and my meaningfulness moving, moving forward. So I'd like you to speak to this whole kind of sense of how important it is to write something that's persuasive to us with some emotional power to move us forward. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, and I know that there's lots of people who have a, a negative reaction to things like this uh, idea that the way you think about the future and you visualize it causes it to happen. And they, the, the topic of the movie, The Secret, comes up and mm, yeah. the whole law of attraction and so forth. Yeah. So I don't have anything against all that except when it's used to create a system of superstitious belief that leads people off the side of a cliff. What I do think is if you're going to take a long journey and you're going to get somewhere, you've got to have a few things. You've got to have, first of all, an idea of where you're going. So you have a target destination. You've got to have an accurate map of how to get there. You've got to be able to translate what's on the map in the future. And I think you have to also, if the journey is going to require any effort or any possible adversity, you've got to have a reason that's emotionally powerful enough to compel you to finish the journey. That's a metaphor for life. In other words, you have to have a goal, place you're going, a destination, a destiny, and you have to be able to visualize it clearly enough that it becomes compelling to you that you're willing to walk over the rocks and the broken glass you have to crawl through to get there. You're going to go through the hard times. You're going to stick with it. And you've got to constantly remind yourself of why you're doing this. You've got to keep your eyes on the prize, as it says in some mm. book I read once. For all of us, it's going to be different. You've got... What works for somebody else is their goal that they're visualizing to get to does not work for me. I can tell you it's not a big mansion or a bunch of sports cars for me. It's something totally different than that. And what my specific goals are don't matter to anybody else. But you got to think about what do you want. You've, we talked about amplifying the pain yes. and the adversity. Think about the aspiration now. Okay. What are you aspiring to? What looks like the perfect life to you in the context of that? For me – that all changed when I realized what was going to happen with Parkinson's. I had a different idea of what, about what my end goal looked like. It looked like a much more modest home in a natural setting with a great view and no stairs. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. wide that's, doorways. That's, that's your reality. you got to deal with your reality, don't you? Yeah. Yes. And so I, I can visualize that very – and I do every day. I visualize that very clearly, what my, my wife and I are doing there every day, how we're living our lives. That's a compelling vision to me. And it's important for me to remind myself of it because the world around us – interrupt us with their vision of what they want from us so powerfully we'll be distracted and lost and that's why we feel that way when we start our day by scrolling instagram and, and tiktok and twitter and just doom scrolling as the, as the term is or i like the, the term the infinity pool of success <laughs> it's never any reinforcement of the wrong beliefs you get to decide what's the right belief ultimately that decision is up to us it was left up to us by our creator we visualize the future we want intentionally with emotional intensity because we must if we want to overcome the gravity of the earth that's trying to pull us down to the level everybody else is at which is fear hatred division anger bitterness unforgiveness a disaster woe is me i know there's there's realities in the world that are like that but that if you're trying to climb out of a deep dark hole you don't get started by thinking about how much deeper and darker the hole could get and digging down further, you start by stop digging and start working your way out. This yeah. is how you do it. We started talking about, about the word or, but let's close it with the word and. Include your book with, with the phrase, read this and live. And you use a 
phrase in your book, which I really love. Belief can guide you towards the life you want, but hold you back from the life you have now. And I'd just like to speak to that, how your book and how people can choose then to have an and live. There's a writer named Byron Katie who says, when you argue with reality, you only lose 100% of the time. That's a miserable way to live. If you're unhappy, really the formula for happiness is very simple. You have reality that you live in. You have a blueprint in your mind of how things are supposed to be. If you're unhappy, it's because either the blueprint reality is wrong. Guess which one it is. I think the way to have the and, Parkinson's, I have cancer, I have my my husband or wife died or whatever happened. Good friend of our family, their adult son was just killed in an automobile accident. Mm. But that's, that's reality for them. So now what? I believe we start looking for that purpose that lies beyond this moment of grief. We have to try to give ourselves some perspective. So it's a process. I don't have a simple formula. I just know there's a process we need to go yes. through. And it starts with thinking about, can I, is there any way I can look at the future and see some kind of hope, some kind of reason, some kind of purpose? And when you can do that, you start take that small brick and you begin using it to build on and visualizing what that might be like. And I think, Brad, I started my journey in life believing that I could achieve anything and do anything and be anything I wanted. And I had all these goals and I still believe that life has, has got a golden, shining purpose at its core, but it doesn't look anything like what I thought. <laughs> For me, the, the goal I'm trying to, to get to is not checking something off a list of accomplishments or having a certain number of things. It's the kind of person I'm becoming and say, hey, now I'm super successful. That's what my publisher wanted. They wanted said, we're more looking for a book where you just give the formula for how you fixed your life. I'm like, well... I didn't fix it. Yeah, it's an ongoing it's, process. Yeah, and what I'm trying to tell you in, in this book, dear publisher, is we're writing a book about how to deal with your life that's not fixed. Because guess what? Nobody's life is fixed. Yes. Great stuff here. The, his name is Ray Edwards. The book is titled Read This or Die, Persuading Yourself to a Better Life. But I love the thought we're leaving things here with Read This and live but this is an ongoing process we thank you for being our uh, guest today here on dr brad miller thank you ray for being with us wow i mean you know that is just so inspirational and and ray is just phenomenal and what he has been through is incredible you know one of the things that struck me as he was talking was when we're diagnosed with cancer, in many ways, it does have a beginning and an end. You know, we it's horrible and awful there for a while. We have treatment and then hopefully we're done with it. And, and in many ways, we go on with our life. And something like Parkinson's, that doesn't happen. You know, it will be there forever. And to me, that is, you know, the, the story of how Ray is dealing with it was just absolutely incredible because he, you know, it is something that he will have and and not only that it will progressively get worse um you know and and i think we've all heard uh, you know a lot of interviews with michael j fox and and his story with parkinson's and it is just incredible the journey that they are on yeah and, and the other one of the other uh metaphors he one uh, stories he mentioned was robin williams who mm -hmm. uh, how michael j fox and robin williams took different pathways mm -hmm. to their uh diagnosis of parkinson's right. and Ray talks in our interview here about the pathways that he took and going, you know, some of the searches he took that led him to mm -hmm. some 
unhealthy places looking for some, you know, faith Mm -hmm. healers that didn't work out and some Mm -hmm. some medical procedures didn't work out. I've, you know, I've looked at some of that type of thing myself. And, but what did he, he finally got around to the thing that I'd like for uh, our, our good friends, our listeners here to listen to as well. He, he turned to copywriting where he wrote himself a letter, a persuasive letter. Mm -hmm. And that became the basis of his finding his new life, his new, uh, soul is a word is new peace of peace of mind and i just think that's uh, a good uh, place uh, to be that uh, you know the the metaphor then is that you know if you know, that life is kind of a game in which you want mm-hmm. to be a part a participant right. the entire way and that it's a gift and mm-hmm. whatever the cir- circumstances of your life are a gift and share the joy of it as it is not whining too much or about where it could have been or what what it could have should have, mm-hmm. but where are you at right now and try right. to try to enjoy that. And I think that's what Ray does a good job of mm-hmm. helping us. I would say also that in his book, he has, you know, lots of work at the end of each chapter, there is a place to kind of workshop this yourself. And I would encourage everybody to, you know, he's got his uh letter he wrote to himself, what he calls his pastor plan, P-A-S-T-O-R. And I would encourage everybody to write something down in some way or another. I journal mm-hmm. sometimes, or yeah. there's audio ways of doing it. Some, it's in some part, Deb, our podcast, here's a way for us to process mm-hmm. some things you and I are going through and other people can as well. But to process it in some way or another. And that's what Ray did. And I would encourage our listeners to, mm-hmm. to do that, to uh, process things, to rewrite your own script, as it were. So we thank Ray Edwards uh, for being our guest. We'll put links to his book at uh, at our show notes at cancerandcomedy.com. And again, his book is Read This or Die. Right. You know, and obviously we encourage anyone, no matter what their circumstance is, to read it because it is a good lesson in life. You know, and, and so uh, it's it's just so important. Well, now it's time for our Cancer and Comedy segment Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. Take it away. Well, Deb, you know that uh, I I spent you know quite a long time, uh, several years being a, a preacher, and one of those situations I was in, uh, I was at a small church out in a very rural area, and uh, somebody decided to give me a horse. I'm not a big horse guy, really, but he I, they gave me a horse. But the the guy said to me, "Hey, preacher, this is a religious." A religious horse. So you got to take this religious horse. A religious horse? What on earth does that mean? Well, the guy said to me, well, it's for this horse, instead of to get to go, instead of saying like giddy up or something like that, you say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And if you want the horse to stop, you don't say, whoa, or anything like that. You say, hallelujah. Well, that seems kind of odd. How did it work out? Well, not that great, really. Uh, I got on the horse and uh, I kind of remembered what you start saying, as you say, you know, praise the Lord. And the horse uh, took off uh, walking uh, and I was doing, doing okay. And then across the road there popped out this copperhead snake. And oh my gosh, (laughs) the horse, you know, uh, whose name was Moses, by the way, the horse named Moses took off like a shot down the road. And there, this road led to a little pathway, went right down to the pathway to the river, a cliff that overlooked uh, the river. And the horse took off like a, like a shot at a dead gallop. And I'm hanging on uh, like crazy. 
Oh, no. What did you do? Well, uh, you know, being the guy that I am, I panicked completely. And I f- completely forgot about the instructions about this being a religious horse. And I started yelling, whoa, stop. Get me out of here. Mm-hmm. And I was yelling and screaming until, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we're heading right towards the river, right towards this cliff, looking overlooking the river. Oh, this is not sounding good. It uh, it wasn't good. Uh, just as I got to the edge of the cliff, I suddenly remembered what the guy had told me, that this was a religious horse. And so I yelled out, hallelujah. And sure enough, the horse kind of put on the brakes and the religious horse uh, Moses stopped right at the edge of the cliff before the river. Oh, goodness. Well, but then what did you do then? Oh, I was so relieved. I just looked to heaven and said, praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> and that's Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. But now it's time to shift gears a bit for Dr. Brad's faith it or break it segment. Well, we're talking uh, today about hope. And there is a movie that came out quite a few years ago. I think it was in the 90s. I think it was Sandra Bullock called Hope Floats. And in that movie, is just a, there's a catchphrase called Hope Floats, and it basically uses the metaphor of like a life preserver that if things are going bad, hope is the thing that you can hang on to. It helps you get you through bad stuff and kind of come to, uh, to the surface, as it were. And uh, it reminded me, just that phrase, Hope Floats, reminded me of, a, mm-hmm. of a, just one, little, uh, one piece of scripture from Romans uh, fifth chapter. Where it says, uh, it says there, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that's what this Bible says in, uh, in Romans. I came across this short reading from a hospital setting, which made some sense to me. It's by a doctor by the name of William Bookholtz, and he wrote this. He says, as I was eating breakfast one morning at the hospital, I overheard two oncologists conversing. One was complaining bitterly. You know, Bob, I just can't understand it. We use the same drugs, the same drugs, the same schedule, the same entry criteria. Yet I get a 22 percent response rate and you get a 74 percent response rate this is about positive outcomes from their treatments and that's unheard of for metastatic lung cancer how do you do it and his colleague uh, responded we're both using these four compounds these four drugs e typicide platino on coven and try and hydroxyurea. So those four things start with an E, a P, an O, and an H. And you call yours just that, in short, E P O H. I so and that's what you tell your patients. That's what you're giving them, E P O H. But I tell my patients, I've given them H O P E, hope. The exact same drugs that you give them I just give them with a little different approach I give it to them not E-P-O-H but with H-O-P-E hope and as dismal as the statistics are I emphasize with my patients that you have a chance 
because you have hope. And so that's what I just want to share with uh, you today on our Faith or Break It segment. You can be broken sometimes by your attitude and by just seeing things in a negative light. But if you see things with some hope, it's going to give you the perseverance to float through the bad stuff to come to a better place. It's now time for our Cancer and Comedy featured segment as we hear from our lifter uppers. Did you know that you can be on Cancer and Comedy as a lifter upper listener with your uplifting story about your cancer journey? Just go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com. Today's listener lifter upper is Edward. Here is his story. For me, where I'm at right now, in hindsight, cancer is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Even though it was a huge, insurmountable mountain to climb. But um, I just made a TikTok the other week about how everything's connected. And cancer is kind of like the the catalyst for me for everything that has happened in my life that is good since then and that includes the friends i have my relationship with my family the career i've had the multiple books i've had the book everything that's going on with my book like none of that would have happened if it weren't for cancer and lord knows where i would be right now Did you know that you can join those of us who are turning the grim into grins by telling us your uplifting story? Go to voicemail.cancerandcomedy.com and you can keep up with everything Cancer and Comedy through our Cancer Comedy Chronicles newsletter at newsletter.cancerandcomedy.com. Well, that's it for now. Please join us next time on Cancer and Comedy. And if you like what you hear, please pass the podcast on to someone else in your life who needs to turn their grim into a grin. For Dr. Brad Miller, I'm Deb Creer, reminding you that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Cancer and Comedy podcast with Dr. Brad Miller make sure you visit our website, cancerandcomedy.com, where you can follow the show and get our newsletter. Like what you hear? Then tell a friend about Cancer and Comedy, the show that lifts your spirits with hope and humor that heals. Until next time, keep turning the grim into a grin. <laughs>